0: Armor on, get ready to go out there and fight this battle. No, he said, Get your worshipers, get your singers, get your instruments, get your choir, get them ready. Send them out first. They didn't even have to fight, Doug. They begin to worship. Something about worship, church. You know, if sometimes we just be still. Be still. And know that he is God and remember all the battles he's won for you in the past, okay, and that that he's got your future. That you just got to stand still and know that he is God and worship him in the midst of the battle and let God fight the thing for you. And let him take care of all your problems and issues, you know, and just stand still and know that he is God and know that what he says in this word is truth, Okay, this word shall never return void and what he says in this word is powerful it's sharper than any devil edged sword it just, it'll do its job if you'll just trust in the power of God and the Holy Spirit and let him work in your situation and circumstance and let God take care of it everything is going to be alright then I thought of another story Elijah and his servant he, looked around, he came out the door and he looked around and had all this vast big army was coming against him. And Elijah said, Lord, please open his eyes so he can really see what's really going on around us. And he opened his eyes. Then he saw the angels of the Lord and the armies of God around the other army. And he says, there's more that are for us than those who are against us. Okay, so there's more for you than those who are against you. Amen. Amen. Y'all, wake out there tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Then you know, then God began to speak to me. Something. Just you know, things happen when you worship in God. I mean. God begins to move, God begins to speak, God begins to stir, God begins to heal, God begins to deliver, God will just set you free. If you'll just worship and get your eyes on the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and worship Him, it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter your circumstance. And you at home tonight, put worrying about everything. And trust in the Lord your God, because the battle is not yours, it is His. You know, there's, there's a shifting that's about to take place in America, and it, ha, and it does not have, it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the election. Nothing. People's eyes are so much on the election that they're going to miss what God has for their life. Because that, that kind of stuff can be a distraction to the church. It can be a distraction to America. But God is about to do something and a shifting is about to take place and God's about to reveal His glory in the land of America and God is about to move and the great awakening is going to happen and it's going to come when you least expect it. But you've got to be ready. You've got to be alert. You've got to be sober-minded. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to be a mind. get our minds and our hearts and our soul and our spirit and eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ because He is coming soon and all, all I've thought about here in the last few months is heaven thinking about heaven and I've been praying God give me a message on heaven to preach to the church Because I want to remind the church that heaven is real that there is a place that God is preparing for his children, when the rapture takes place and he takes us out of this old earth and this old world. But we gotta be ready. So that gets and brings me to tonight. In Genesis 13. I'm sorry, go to chapter 12 first, starting at verse six. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the Terebinth tree at Moriah. And the Canaanites were in the land. And the Canaanites were in the land. At that time in the era, there was, there was some of the most vile, Satanist, evil people in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him and he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west of Ai on the east there he built an altar to the Lord and he called the name of the Lord called on the name of the Lord so Abram journeyed going on still toward the south In Genesis 13 verse verse 4 and 18 to the place of the altar which he had made there at first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees at Marah, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Tonight we're going to talk about altars are a memorial to the place where God meets us. Father, I love you. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for your people. I pray tonight, God, that you would anoint our hearts to receive, our minds to comprehend your word, God. Reveal your word unto us tonight, God. Lord Jesus, I pray for the anointing of your spirit, God, to communicate your word with the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. And Holy Spirit, invade this house tonight, God. May we walk out of this Wednesday night service different than what we came in. We thank you for your presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. The spirit of worship that's in this house, in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Altars represent the occasion and place where we have had a personal encounter with God. Two places that I know of that really was an altar for me when I met Jesus Three, I'm sorry. One was in my aunt's living room floor when I knelt down at the chair and she, she led me in the sinner's prayer. I received Jesus. I got saved. My sins were washed away. I was changed by the power of God. The next altar was the altar where I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God filled me, hit me. I hit the floor. I was there for an hour and a half. God was doing a healing and a work. Then because I didn't have any foundation underneath my feet, I fell, I messed up, I backslid. Then I had another altar encounter with God on a brick, a red brick in front of my house at 3823 Given Avenue in Memphis, Tennessee, where I was just, where our where family surrendered everything over to God. And I said, God, I'll serve you with all of my heart for the rest of my life. I just need somewhere to go to get my life changed. And I went and left and got, went to a ministry, similar to True Hope Ministries, and God changed my life. And she, healed me and delivered me and gave me the foundation of this word that I'm standing upon today. That's just three altars that I think about tonight where God worked in my life and I had a personal encounter with God. We We may not always be able to make a physical altar, but there can be one established in our hearts. And as a Christian, you need to find you a place to where you get down, you spend time with God. You're, you're in his presence, you're on your knees, you're calling out to God, you're worshiping God, you're letting God speak to you. When we celebrate communion, we are celebrating the grandest altar of all, the cross of Calvary, upon which the Son of God was laid forth as a sacrifice. We remember what he did on that sacrifice on the cross. And church, we can't forget what Jesus did. He reconciled all humankind to God. He made He makes He made possible infusion into our lives with meaning, the forgiveness of all of our sins and the promise of eternal life. Heaven's real. We're going to live eternity, one place or the other, either heaven or hell. You make the choice. The choice is us, ours. I heard something the other day that, you know, I'm was i mad. Why would I want to serve a God that sends everybody to hell? No, God don't send nobody to hell. You send yourself. It's a choice. God gave mankind a choice to serve him or not. Now, there will be times in our lives as people that he will bring you to a point of decision. He'll bring you to a crossroads to whether you're going to serve him or you're going to serve Satan. You make the choice. You can't serve God and serve The devil too. There there is no in-between. There is no straddling the fence. There is no serving two masters. You serve one or the other. You make the choice. But Jesus died for our sins. We might have life and have it more abundantly. How many of you in this place tonight and listening by live stream have really and really came And to understand and to receive and to live in the blessings and the abundance of Christ as a Christian. To really come to understand the power of the cross. Altars appear throughout the Bible in many different forms. The first one we're going to talk about tonight is a place of encounter. That altar where you encounter God, the Lord met Jacob in a crisis, and the next day he built an altar at that place. Sometimes you've got to go to church and just find you a place and build you that altar to have that encounter with God. And you can read about that story with Jacob in Genesis twenty-eight, but in a place of encounter. I remember as a young Christian laying on my couch one night frustrated because I was trying to read and pray. And, you know, that's what I was told when I first got saved. You got to read your Bible and pray. You got to read your Bible and pray. You got to read your Bible and pray. Well, that's great. We all, every Christian, should read their Bible every day. If you don't, shame on you. But you're setting yourself up to go somewhere where you don't need to go. That's why in True Old Ministries, you have to memorize the book of Ephesians before you graduate. Why? Because you need to get the Word in you. And we teach these students, when you graduate this program, you don't stop what you're doing when you get out. That doesn't mean it's all over. Well, I made it. Praise God. I don't do anything else now. No, you better stay in your Word. You better apply everything that they, you learn in the program and do it daily when you graduate. If you don't, you're setting yourself up for failure. And as a man and woman of God, we have to study and memorize this Word daily. It has to be a part of your life as a Christian If not, you're going to find yourself standing by a pond. You ever seen them ponds on the side of the road? They're they're just, the water, there's nothing moving. And if you stand around them long enough, you're going to find out they stink pretty bad. That's what happens to Christians when they stop reading and praying and seeking the Lord and studying God's Word and memorizing and letting God's Word transform them. They become stagnant. Sometimes you can do all that too and still come to a place of, of complacency and find yourself in a place like there's got to be more to God than what I'm getting here, what I'm doing. I've been there, done that. I've had, I was at that place at one time in my life but I had to find an altar and have a fresh encounter with God. We've got to have a fresh encounter with the Master every day. Well, you know what Jesus did? He would stop and leave everybody. Did he go over to the pizza place and start eating pizza? No, ma'am. No, sir. He went to spend time and have communion with the Father. Why? Because he had to come to understand and know exactly what his, what his, what he was supposed to do the next day. Because you remember he said, I don't do anything except what my Father tells me. Me and my Father are one. I laugh when I read the story. The disciples said, Lord, will you show us a father. I can see, I can almost feel him and hear him laughing inside. <laughs> I'm right here with you. What are you talking about? Well, we have to have that place and encounter with God. You know, if, if America wants a great awakening, wants the presence, the power of God to be poured out upon this nation, we got to get back to the basics. We've got to get back to the Word of God. We've got to make back to our old-fashioned prayer meetings, praying and seeking God and going after Him with everything that we have. You know, I don't know how much of you know about the Pensacola Revival, but God just didn't show up one day just because He needed something to do. No, ma'am, no, sir. Those people in that church were hungry for a move of God. And they have prayer meetings every Sunday night praying for revival. And if you can sit down and talk to John Kilpatrick, who was a pastor, he'll tell you that he was not in a good place. His mother had just died. He was grieving. He was in a bad place. Him and his mother had a strong relationship with God. But, there were, they, he was, but God touched him, and he was out for a week. For I mean, now I had to carry him home every night for the first three or four weeks of that revival. But it happened because they hungered for the things of God. They prayed and they sought the Lord. Why? Because they want a move of God. How much of us in the church want a move of God? We've got to build an altar and get to back to the basics and get down to praying and seeking the Lord having have an encounter with God. Next is an altar, a place of forgiveness. You know, there's a lot of Christians who have a, have a hard time with forgiving other people. It's time for you to get back and build an altar and come to a place of forgiveness. The brazing altar of the tabernacle, a sacrifice was offered as an advanced testimony that there would be a once and for all sacrifice in God's Son. Ultimate forgiveness came from the cross. And let me just remind us as Christians and as a church, the Father said, if you can't forgive those who hurt you, how can your Heavenly Father forgive you? If he has to forgive, do we have to forgive? Yes, we do. So we have to come to a place of forgiveness. Next is a, here, here we go, we're getting back to you, you ready? A place of worship. The most common altar built by people to acknowledge their praise to God was the altar of incense. The holy place where priests would offer worship to the Lord on behalf of the people and themselves. Turn with me to John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. This is an encounter with the woman at the well. Jesus showed up, not by accident. He went there on purpose. You know, Samaria was a place that you didn't see Jews. So it was out of character for him to go as far as the Jewish customs were concerned but he says in verse 23 after he had the conversation with the woman at the well he said but the hour is coming and now is but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father are you ready? pay attention to these next few words for the father is seeking such to worship him so, what does that tell me? The father is looking for you to worship. He's looking to have an encounter with you. He's seeking you. He's pulling you. He's drawing you. He's telling you, hey, I want an encounter with you. I want to reveal myself to you. I want to heal you. I want to touch your life. I want to bring salvation to your family. So he's, the father is seeking us. I mean, I can things come to my mind immediately of times when I knew God was pulling me. I was lost in sin bound by addiction bound by sin but yet I know I can take you to places I remember that things happened and things were said to me in my mind and that it was the Father seeking me drawing me wooing me pulling me I want a relationship with you I want to have an encounter with you I want to reveal yourself to me I want to deliver you from yourself and from your addiction but he's seeking he says, he's, the Father is seeking such to worship him. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in truth. You know, it's not how we, how we raise our hands or how we dance or how we shout or how we run and how we jump. It's how we worship him from the innermost depths of our being. We worship him in spirit and in truth, and we give him everything. We surrender. We worship the Father with everything we have from the depths of our soul. Altar of worship, a place of worship. Next is a place of covenant. You know, as bad as the children of Israel got, God never broke his covenant. They broke it over and over and over again. A place of covenant. An altar was built where the covenant was made between the Lord and Abraham. And the land was sealed as a timeless promise to Abraham and his offspring. Genesis chapter 15. When you're in, I like this part. When you are in covenant with God, his favor will be upon your life. Come on, somebody. You ought to shout praise right there. The favor of God will be upon your life as long as you stay in covenant with him. Now Jesus wants that intimate relationship with his people. And I just want to jump ahead, but we, but we get, I'm going to a little bit, We're, we get distracted. We'll let things, people, relationships, Money, fame, whatever it is, distract us. We even let we walk into church and we just want somebody just to recognize who we are. Don't they know how much we tithe every week? We're distracted by things like that. It's great that you're a tithing and being obedient, but what about your strong relationship, your intimate relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? When you're in covenant with God, his favor will be upon your life. Next is a place of intercession. How many of us in the church really understand and know what real, real intercession is? The prophet Joel called for intercession by leaders on behalf of the people and their devastated economy at that time. If you know Jesus, you're a leader. Do we intercede for souls of those who hurt? Us or wrong us? Have you prayed for those people who've spitefully used you and abused you and did you wrong and hurt you? Got quiet in here, man. You know what? I don't want to hang on to that stuff. I don't want to carry that around. Somebody's hurt me. I forgive. I got to forgive them and move on. I didn't say I'm going to go hang out with them. I said i got to forgive them and let them go on and let that move on. Forgive those people in my past who have hurt me. I've thought about it. There's times when I think about my past where people have just wronged me and hurt me from a little boy growing up up to now. But I forgive them and move on. I don't carry that stuff around. we got to forgive those who hurt us. we got to intercede for their soul, intercede for their life, that they will have a fresh encounter with God and understand and know We gotta forgive those who have hurt us and we gotta pray and ask those who we've hurt to forgive us. Sometimes you gotta build that altar. Speaking of altar, God has a place of altering. Anybody ever been altered? He <laughs> don't feel very good, does it? But there's a place of altering, a price and a price of altering. Altars have a price. God intends that something be altered in us when we come to the altars. It means we got to build that altar and be altered by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives daily. And sometimes we got to come to the altar and let God do that surgery and do that work in our hearts and our lives and to alter us into the man and woman of God that he desires us to be. We come to the altars to receive that promise means we make way, we make way, okay? Because God's already made the way. The Holy Spirit's already here. But we got to make a way for transformation Romans 12 1 and 2 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service and be not trans be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may with what prove the perfect good and will of God I Means you gotta be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the power of well, how does that happen, Pastor Gray? How do I get my mind renewed? Can anybody say God's word? You understand why it's important for us as a church and as individuals to read the word of God and to study God's word and to memorize and let the power of God's word transform us. Well, we got to make a way for transformation. How do you make a way? You open the book. You get in the book. You let the book become a part of your life. Now I'm going to lose my place here. But I got a little places from other scriptures we're going to read here in a second. But let me explain to you what the Word of God is. Okay, anybody? Now you don't see them much in these air, these washing machines anymore today. And I'm not sure my clothes are really getting clean. But the washing machine has a little thing and you have a thing in the middle called an agitator. Okay, what does that agitator do? You put your soap in, you put your clothes in and you turn that washing machine on it fills up with water and then something happens. You hear that noise in there and it sounds, it's... You hear it. What is it doing? It's, it's cleaning the clothes, it's getting the dirt out. A transformation is taking place. The grease is coming out. The dirt's coming out. Something's happening. It's doing a job that is created to be, and it's to get the dirt out. The word of God is an agitator. It renews the mind. It creates a new a new thought pattern in the in the in the unbeliever as he becomes a Christian or she becomes a Christian. And God begins to change their life and as they begin to study and read the Word. The agitator begins to work and begin to take place, and transformation begins to happen. Why? Because you make a way. For transformation to happen. And I remember when that agitator started to work on me. My head hurt for weeks. Months. Because I needed to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And I'm sorry to say, I'm sorry for some of you people that like quick fixes. It's not a quick fix. It's a daily routine that you do daily. It's not a, woo, I got it. Let's go. No, it's a daily process. It's called relationship with the Father. You know, you you, guys see the ladies show up every day every Wednesday and every Sunday and Celebrate Greg tonight. You know, he's—I knew what was going to happen when he when I told him today to get the letters. He goes, letters? What are you talking about, letters? And I had to show him. This is what I meant by letters. So I showed him an exit plan. I said, "This is what you got to do." You know, and we see him show up every week, and he's all happy, and he likes—he's a people person. He loves talking. He's the most talkative student I think I've ever been around in my thirty-something years of doing this kind of ministry. Poor brother Clint. He don't say much, but he's sure got somebody that says enough for him. <laughs> and you, you, but you see them, they show up here on Sunday morning looking all pretty and nice, and they look all sweet, and you, you see it, and everybody celebrate. Yeah, Trump's here. Joe hope's here. Well, <laughs> they show up, and Greg and Joe show up, and everybody's just so happy. But, see, the deal with uh, True Hope Ministry, the ministry that we do, discipleship ministry, okay, discipling is not, uh, you think, man, that sounds fun, man. (laughs) Come on, hang out with us for a week. (laughs) They get up at 6 and they don't stop until 9.30. When they lay them them heads on the pillows, then it stops. You don't see the days they walk into the office. They've been doing their studies and we ask the question, you memorize your book of Ephesians? Uh, no, I've been, I don't know if I can. I can't. You tell me can't. I'm gonna get, my my countenance will change. And I'll look at you and I'll go, can't never could and could never would. That's my saying. If you say, I can't. comforter whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. He teaches you. He helps you. He convicts you. He strengthens you. He brings to your remembrance the living word of God. See, you don't see the pain and the the, uh, agony of change and transformation that's taking place in their lives. In church, and you know, to be honest with you, To be just straight out, the church, that's what the church should be doing. We shouldn't have any true ministries. The church should be doing its job of discipling. Getting a little down there we getting close to home. But that's just the way I feel. Because if a church would have did its job when I got saved, I wouldn't have had to go to Teen Challenge. And so, but I love the church. One of the first things that I had to do I graduated was to get involved in the local church Why? because I had to be doing something I had to be about the father's business even though I was working in ministry I had to be at the church receiving and giving and doing and worshiping and learning how to be a a church member but we must make a way of transformation in our lives we got to make a choice and make a step Ephesians 4 verse 20 The 32 says, but you have not so learned Christ, and if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, the truth is in Jesus. Paul encourages before the next verse, he gets this built up here and says, man, it's in Jesus, we can do it through him. Then he says, that you put off, you mean I got to take something off, Pastor Greg? Yes, you do. Concerning your formal conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt, according to the deceitful lust. If you don't crucify it, you don't do something with it, if you just leave it alone, it's going to grow corrupt. It's going to begin to stink. Things are going to begin to happen. You're going to find yourself in a place you don't need to go as an individual. And I don't care if you've been raised in church all your life. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There it is again. Why? Because it has, that agitator has to do his job. Put on, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying and let each one, of, each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That means you get mad at somebody, you better go to him and ask him to forgive you before you go to sleep. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stow no more, long longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And, you know, and that right—that scripture right there, Everybody keeps when you read that scripture, a lot of people just think, well, I can't cuss anymore. No, you can't cuss, you can't gossip, you can't talk about your husband, you can't talk about your wife, you can't talk about your friend, you can't talk about the guy down the street that you just don't like. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God God in Christ forgave you. You've got to make a way for transformation for it to happen, for it to take place in your life, in my life. I had to make a way. I had to forgive those people who have hurt me. And abused me as a child who did things, you know, it, I had to forgive those people. Did I forget? No. I said, but I forgave. Mom, I, want to be, I want to be in line with God, with the Father. I want to be in the favor with, of God and be in the favor of, from the Father. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, And have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Got to be transformed. Have you ever felt that the Lord put in your heart an expectation of promise? Today I was studying and I, God just began to, you know, reveal things to me and strengthen me and help me through some things. You know, I, I wish life was perfect and great and honored and beautiful. We didn't have no problems, but there are problems and issues we have to deal with daily. But such aspirations come from the Lord. Psalms 62 5. You sense an anticipation of something God has put in your heart and underwritten by promises in His Word. You look at the promise and begin to picture in your mind what, is the, what it's going to be like. Because that's what happens when you begin to renew your mind and God begins to change your life. He begins to reveal His promises to you. His promises are yes and amen. fact is we often visualize things that have nothing whatsoever to do with what God wants to do with us. You know we all have our own agendas but our own agendas won't mount to much unless we are on the agenda of God. Abraham knew there was a place for him. You know you think about Abraham He left and didn't know where he was going. God just said, pack up the bags, buddy, and hit the road. He packed up his bags, and he was gone. Did not have a clue where he was going. Abraham knew there was a place for him, and God has a place for you and us. Where? In his kingdom. There's a place for you in the kingdom. There is a specific duty and a specific job and a specific place for you in the kingdom. Because there's a longing in every heart for where we, all, we are meant to be. But we get caught up in our notion of how it's going to be fulfilled. How are you going to do it, God? You know, I was sitting in this congregation one Sunday morning a few years ago, and somebody spoke a word over me who was preaching here, you know, and of course, immediately I'm thinking, well, God, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? What is he going to do it? How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? 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 What is going to happen? And for weeks, I listened to that thing over and over. i get on the po- website, on the podcast, and i listen to it. Well, I, I want to know what's going to happen. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? happen? You know, I, he has a place for it. He has a time. Now, when God, when the word says, God won't put no more us what we can stand, we think, God ain't going to put that weight on me. I can't have it. No, everything it has to do with your whole will, his will for your life. He's not going to give you something when you're not ready for it. He's not going to put you in a place when you're not ready for it. You, you, these students will tell you, we ain't going to graduate you until you're ready for it. That's so why we tell people, 12 to 15 months. Well, because, you know, great, you get your anniversary day, wonderful. That's beautiful and great. But you ain't ready just yet. We got we to get you, there's some things you got to work on. Why? Because I'm going to stand before the Father and give an account for every one of these ladies and men when I get to heaven. Not you. Not Pastor Brian. Though we're a part of One Life Church, I'm going to be standing in front of God and give an account. My wife will give an account. Anyway, We get caught up in our notion of how it should be fulfilled. When Abraham was told by the Lord, he had a place. He probably imagined a... Virgin Valley flowing with streams and lovely mountains and lush valleys and grapes and apple trees. And he probably had one distinct, but it, that wasn't the case. But the scripture says he came into the place and there were Canaanites in the land. The, the Canaanites were the most perverted, corrupt culture in human history. That's bad. They were Satanists of the time. Abraham's building of the altar represented him. his saying, I am accepting a promise, understanding that this is different than what I thought it was going to be. He built an altar. He went to the Lord. He sought God. But it is also something that I believe God can bring to pass. He said, I trust you, Lord, that you will make it work. I don't understand it. I don't see it. Be encouraged to let your heart receive the promise and embrace whatever you are right where you are right now. Even if it seems much different than what you hope for. If the Lord is there with you, He can make it work. It doesn't matter what you're facing. But it will require one thing. You've got to build an altar. On your part to say, I am willing as well as you, as your trust that God is greater than your preconception of how it's supposed to be. He built an altar. Abraham called on the name of the Lord. When Abraham, when the Bible says that he called on the name of the Lord, it was more than prayer. The word name contains the concept of character. Called on the name of the Lord. He called on the character. Our perspective of God is on this, this side of of the Old and New Testament, but in Abraham's time, God was just beginning to rework his communication with fallen humanity. He just destroyed everything, remember? Right before Abraham. Abraham answered a call because why he believed in God. He sensed him drawing his heart to a promise of something that he himself could not, that he could not be in himself. Abraham believed that there was a true and living God in the midst of a pagan culture. You know, yeah, the world's getting worse, but God is bigger than anything. He says, I want to teach you about me, Abraham. Abraham was coming to know the Lord, and he called on the name and character of the Lord, Abraham. He leaves and then returns to where God met him. Went back to where? The altar. And then he, a famine strikes. He goes to Egypt. He gets sidetracked and distracted like most of us Christians do. And the church does. We get distracted by the things around us. You know, the virus hit and everybody freaked out. Oh, my God, we're all going to die. And I, the words, first words out of my mouth, God hath not given me the spirit of fear but of power of love and of a sound mind. Then he gave me this verse, Psalms chapter 30, verse 5. My word is pure and I am a shield to those who put their trust in me. This guy's got it all under control, church. He went to Egypt, got sidetracked. God had to bring him back in line. This created a bigger problem. He stayed and remembered the promise of the Lord that he gave him. The Lord met him in Egypt anyway, helped him through. Abraham returned to the, where did he go back to? He went back to the altar. Called on the name of the Lord. You know, people say, God's just too busy to notice me. No, he's not. He's waiting on you to build that altar and come to him. God has a place for us. He's showing himself in that place. Revision will never ultimately be your problem unless you try to figure out how to make it on your for yourself in any circumstance or situation that you face. He wants to bring us to that altar church. I'm skipping some stuff here. Abraham wanted to move on and know it died, so he came back to the altar. He had built calling on the name of the Lord. And Zechariah 13, 9 says, I will bring the one-third through the fire. will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. God wants to fulfill his purpose in you, church. Every one of us. But we gotta get rid of distractions out of our life. is ready to bring us back to the altar to seek his face and to know him for who he is. We've got to go to that place of altering. We've got to build that altar. Let the power of God transform us as we seek him. As he changes us and transforms our lives. Price of altering is that you have to pour your life out over it. Lord, I come and present myself to you. Cause well, see, He already knows everything anyway. He's waiting on you and I to build an altar and pour it all out to Him. Stand with me. Now, this is so much more. I know it's a lot. I've been, but. We've got to come to that place, church, where we build that altar. And I guess that word coming, we need to get back to the basics. The church has been so distracted by everything. You know, and the election's coming up, and all you see everywhere is the election, the election. You yeah, know, we got to vote. You need to vote. We all need to vote. Pray and seek the Lord. Look at the facts. But man ain't our answer. And as a church, we've got to have that intimate relationship with the Father. we got to know who we are in God. To know Him, we've got to come back to the altar and build that altar and seek His face daily. You want God to move in your circumstance? Get your eyes off of it and get your eyes on him.